Hey, this is Angela Valencia Romeo, and welcome to Colliding Worlds. And you can see I have my guest here. This is Aaron Hawkins. And you know what? What don't you do? You're a producer. You're an actor. You're a podcaster. Mm -hmm. you know, um, how did you? How did you start any and all of the above? I mean, were you born? Were you born an artist, or did I you grow into it? <laughs> I truly think I was born an artist because I was born when I was when I was a kid. I just started just drawing things and stuff like that. Like I would draw like 3D renderings very crudely with, you know, pencil, paper, and a ruler. And literally that's it. Like the Tesla Cybertruck that's coming up. I'm pretty sure I drew that back when I was like five years old and I'm 48. So <laughs> a baby, a baby. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> I mean, so I think, I think literally I was born with, the artistic ability because looking back at my grandparents on my dad's side they were both artists though although they didn't make money at it i mean they were they're still artists in their own right like my grandfather would he took wood from a civil war bridge in west virginia and just repurposed it into artwork like he would design like the uh <clears throat> Like the hanging you see on the wall that you could hang your keys on and that kind of thing. He would design stuff like that. Just anything and everything out of wood. And he would design picture frames for my grandma's artwork that she would do on canvas. And I have four or five of her pieces to this day. And they're beautiful. I love them. I mean, but then again, I'm <laughs> I'm a little biased so because that's my grandmother. But yeah. But you know, it, but it's it's nice though to have those things. Um, my partner has artwork from his mom. Is it the best artwork? No, but you know, it's they they did it and they tried. And the thing about being an artist is, I I was being sarcastic when I said you were born an artist because I believe we all are born artists. Yeah. And it's what what happens after that. I mean, you go on, you 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 grow up, you move on, and they people kind of dissuade you from being an artist, mm -hmm. and you do something else, and mm -hmm. then you find your way back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's you, exactly right. Yeah. How did you find your way back? Um, well, I I don't think I ever really strayed from it per se, because throughout school I was always doing something artistic wise. Um, grade school, I don't think they really offered anything like that, but in junior high, I did art classes and that sort of thing. I uh, drew, drew cartoons and did my own paper mache mass and did that kind of thing. And then in high school progressed into architecture, which is an art form also. See, a lot of people don't realize art is everywhere. It can be from the simplest things of like this remote I have in my hand, all the way to designing a house. And I did that in architecture class. I drew out a house, pencil, paper, and all the technical aspects behind it. And I got an estimate for it to be built back when I drew it, which was in 93. 
and the estimate back then was about five million dollars a build because so it was a twenty thousand square foot ranch house and it had everything in it because i was like you know what i'm gonna go big and go go big or go home so i drew you know, go big or go home is never is always you know i think the right thing to do mm -hmm. I, I have to say it's true because there's nothing you can touch anywhere around you that wasn't touched by an artist first yeah. and and yeah. and i would say if the apocalypse comes you want to have when armageddon there are marching down the road you want to have an artist with you because they can they can figure it out and they can make it happen. You know? That's that's very, very true. I mean, even when I was in the military and the Navy and the Army, respectively, both in that order, I saw thing I saw things differently than a lot of people in the military do. I saw things from an artistic point of view. I saw it from like, you know what? What if there I always I always start off like what if this, what if that kind of thing? Like, what if this was different what if that was different like that sort of thing so my mind thinks a lot differently than a, a normal normal person would if if normal exists obviously um so i don't, I don't think i really ever strayed away from it or got you know kind of walked away or whatever the case may be because art's always been in me and then after high school i went to college for graphic design multimedia web design animation that sort of thing have a degree in that and a minor in psychology with that and i get bored easily so oh, person after my own heart what's that <laughs> bored oh, oh, oh no <laughs> yes i get bored very easily so i was like you know what graphic design is fun and all but to me there was limitations i was like i felt limited by the excuse me by the the whatever the case may be so i was like you know what I'm going to become an actor. So I went to acting school in Chicago. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Black Box Acting. Uh, Audrey Francis, she was the uh, founder of that school, co-founder, founder, what have you. And she was, was or possibly is still an ensemble member at Steppenwolf out there. Yeah. So I was under good hands, under good uh, training and tutelage and that sort of thing. And that's how I went from basically a child to being an adult actor and so far i'm not bored with acting or filmmaking or anything like that because the sky's the limit at this point so i think i think art has no limitations and i know i was it's funny i, I when i was i was studying jewelry design for a while mm -hmm. and you'd sit there with okay i've got a chicken bone a diamond and a piece of string what can i do i mean in your mind thinks differently and you can put it together. Um, yes. And I think any of the training you have before that, you, you, know, you went to school and you studied this and you studied that, all of that plays into play because it's an experience. And as a filmmaker, well, even as an actor, you you bring you bring some baggage with you <laughs> into that, into that yes. role. Um, yes. yeah. and, and when you were studying acting, did you did you did you hop on a, a specific method or um did you just sort of well the the school i went to uh use the miser technique um and the very first thing that they told us in day one of class was we're gonna make you fearless and i sat there and thought you know what yeah i'm a veteran whatever i'm pretty fearless <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Holy cow. Let me tell you. I mean, it was it was an intense class. Every time I left the class, I was spent. 
I was spent, but I was able to, you know, to function, obviously to get home and things like that. But I was mentally drained because it, that class took a lot out of me. And if I don't think it, I don't think if any person in that class, if it didn't take a lot out of them, I don't think they really put in a hundred percent effort in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. So, but, um, I do plan on going back to that schooling again, hopefully in the near future when I slow down a little bit, which yeah, okay, yeah. that's going to be. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I went in and out of acting classes just, and I think every actor should continue to take them. And yeah. I think every filmmaker should take them. Um, every director, every producer, because it, it helps you understand all the parts. Now yeah. you and I are doing all the parts. You're, you're a writer, you're a director, you're a producer, you're an actor. You, you know how each of these things sort of fit together. Mm -hmm. better than the average bear yeah. um uh, i think that that's that makes a much more well-rounded especially in this visual arts because mm -hmm. you've got to know these things and you also said you know your education includes psychology mm -hmm. and as a director you're sometimes the you know <laughs> you, you're a nursemaid sometimes you know you're cajoling yeah. people yeah. Uh, it's hard Yep, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, to to know what's going on behind the camera as an actor, I think is I think is invaluable, and vice versa. Because when I was <clears throat> when I was filming Evil Lurks, we had an actress on set that was in her head a lot. She was so worried about perf being perfect and and whatever the case may be. There you go, awesome. <laughs> that. Um, I had to break that. Well, and, break. and it's hard. No, this particular movie that you're talking about, Evil Lurks, is also got a psychological element to it. Yes. And, you know, you've got the training for it. Did it, you know, did, did, did that come into play too? I think it did, whether whether and whether or not I realized it or not. I really do think it came into play. Um, I didn't outwardly uh, intentionally go for that, but... I guess subliminally it 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 was there obviously um like like i said with going back to that actor i mean i would i would change my accent to a southern accent and start joking around and stuff like that to kind of like break it up a little bit that way she wouldn't the actress wouldn't be all nervous and that sort of thing and i tell all the actors on camera don't say sorry just do it we'll find something in that footage or in that take. And that's the whole reason why we yell cut and action because we cut that take and then we redo it. So until the person, until the actor is good at it and that sort of thing. But I mean, of course you're not going to want to do a hundred takes because then, you know, nothing would, nothing would be made and the three stooges would still be filming, you know, oh, that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I'm fond of saying I'm the Clint Eastwood school of directing. It's like one take, we'll get we'll get your you know your 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 close up. We'll get your close up. When you start doing multiple takes, it, it you lose something. I mean, one of the things that we do is kind of a nasty trick, but we do it. We'll call we'll we'll say cut, but we'll still keep filming because it's after you say that that sometimes you get the best performance they'll they're they're still running their lines in their head and they'll say something and those are it's a more genuine take sometimes yeah it, it, it gets it gets it does get to be 
you know, when you're trying to do it, when you're, especially in a movie where you wrote it and you're directing it and you're, you're walking around, I mean, you've known it from the beginning, you, you birthed it and it's different when you're writing it. It's different when you're the actor, you're saying those lines, but when you, when you're the writer and watching it, mm-hmm. it's a whole different feel when you, the first time you heard your script out loud, did it change how you felt about the script? No, it didn't change how I felt about the script because I told the actors straight up, I'm not Quentin Tarantino. I'm not a script Nazi. The script is there as a, I want to say a strict guideline, but it is there as a guiding force for your character. Um, If there are a couple words in the dialogue that you don't agree with, make it your own. Make it your character Um, because... The way I write is like I'll throw in some slang words like like come on. I wouldn't spell out come and then on. I'll spell out come on or or whatever. I'll spell it out how it sounds coming out of my mouth phonetically kind of thing. And you know, when people read it, they're like, Well, that's not how it's said, or whatever the case may be. I'm like, Well then okay, take what I wrote and make it your own but try not to deviate from the flow of the script, if that makes any sense. I think the only time I've, you know, I feel like you have to really stick to the script a little, a little more other than a play where you have very little leeway in a comedy, Mm -hmm. just because you're setting up the next, that line sets up the joke. And if you, Mm -hmm. if the actor doesn't quite say it right, then the joke falls flat. Yeah. You, you do have to allow people, I mean, part of why you go to acting school is to find that voice for your character and to yep. make it your own. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, otherwise, you might as well be watching the Kardashians on their TV show where it's all like, you know, it, it, there's no spontaneity. It's all, mm-hmm. it, it's all programmed. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of a cool, I think it's a kind of a cool thing when a director can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with some where they're like, nope, these are the words. This is what we say. We don't change. And mm-hmm. other times it's, you know, it's like, okay, I had worked with one director and he said, okay, this is the scene. And we're like, okay, well, what else is yeah. <laughs> the script? And he's like, no, 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 you guys do it. It's like, yeah, no, that that's kind of fun, but you have to work with people who know how to, how to close the scene and how to button up. And, yeah, yeah. and you need a director who's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let's talk about that. You know, when you you wrote the script, you're directing it, you've got these actors. Now, you, you, Evil Lurks is is a horror film. Yes, it's a psychological horror film in what's what's dubbed as art house style. And I think, in my opinion, art house just means it's just how how it's colored, how it's edited, and that sort of thing. But it's still at the bare bones, it is still a psychological horror film. And it has a couple triggers in it. So. I mean, I'm not going to give away the triggers because, you know, then you won't be triggered. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to play the trailer for it, but this is available um, on d- very different platforms. Um, give yeah. me a second here and I'm going to um, share my screen and we are going to watch this. Um, and we'll get a, a, get a good idea of what's going on here. Right. Shine in the air, shine. 
The music just pulls you right in. Yes. yes, yes. There are, I I can't remember the count. I, I know there's at least 30 different music, different music tracks for that movie alone that were custom made for the movie. Um, in fact, one of the songs is titled Pain and it's kind of, it kind of, it's kind of an homage to the song that Johnny Cash did called Hurt. I know Nine Inch Nails did that originally, but Johnny Cash, I love Johnny Cash's version, hands down. They're both good, but Johnny Cash, for some reason, I love his music. And the person that sang this song called Pain and Evil Lurks did music for a movie called Munger Road, which Munger Road was filmed locally by me in St. Charles, Illinois. And they're actually going to be doing a sequel now for that. Oh, movie. great. I'm pretty stoked about that. I can't wait. I mean, if I can get any, if I can, if I can do anything on that set, I'll be happy. So, because it's local. <laughs> well, let's go back to them. You've got the music, and the and the music was really, um, it really drew, draw, draw, brought you into it. And how how much of a movie is the soundtrack? Everything. I think everything. The sound, obviously, dialogue and that sort of thing, and background music i think sound in general in a movie is everything because without it number one you're going to be watching a silent film and number two it's not going to draw you in so i mean if you have like let's say a a cartoon sound on a horror film people are going to be like what what's going on i thought i was watching a horror i'm i didn't i know i was watching family guy all of a sudden or whatever the case may be um so, I mean, it's everything because it, it will draw you in. Like, if you were to watch the movie or if anybody watches the movie, there's like this bombastic, like, beat on drums and stuff like that. That was all done custom by musicians, bands, everything. Because the co-writer, co Chris Shern, he's in a band and he has all these connections with music and bands and individual people, people that just everybody in general and to hear that booming in the theater it was intense because the bass hit so well that it just vibrated the whole entire theater it was great i mean it was really really cool so so i mean yeah music is every music and sound in general is everything in the movie 
it does set it does set the tone but then you get you know you think about certain movies like jaws you hear that that theme song and you know exactly where you are and what it is and you you hear the music from halloween and you you tangle even the exorcist music you hear it and it brings back that even though you know the beginning the middle and the end it still brings back